presented by Millie Package. We now welcome on former Atlanta Falcons guard and member of their 2000s All-Decade team, Keenan Forney. Keenan, welcome on to Division II Sports Radio, man. Hey, what's up, man? Thank y'all for having me. What's up? What's going on? Hey, uh, well, I'll tell you what's going on, and I got to immediately jump into this right here. So you already know I got to talk about Julio Jones, our guy, number 11, potentially being on the move. So as you know, Shannon Sharp called Julio Jones while live on Undisputed on Fox a few days ago. And in Jones' words, he said, he's out of here, talking about Atlanta, the town that he's only known for uh, his entire playing career since 2011 when Thomas Dimitrov traded up and went and drafted him. Uh, Arthur Smith had a press conference yesterday morning. He wouldn't discuss the matter and continued to direct attention elsewhere. Is this relationship salvageable whatsoever? Uh, I believe so. I think anything is salvageable as long as the right, as long as the numbers are right. Um, but uh, you know, it happens all the time. You know, guys play for teams for a long time and then, you know, uh, it's on to the next place. That's the way the league goes. Right. And there's a rumor right now that Diana Russini recently reported today that uh, Julio was all, or a team offered a first round pick to potentially come and get Julio, but that wouldn't happen until June 1st. So, Keenan, transitioning over a little bit to our new draft pick, Kyle Pitts. What role will Kyle Pitts have to play in this offense if Julio Jones is, in fact, no longer on the roster come 2021? I know they split him outside a little bit, but, uh, you know, those are two totally different positions. You know, Kyle Pitts just needs to come in and worry about playing tight end. Right. And, you know, Kyle Pitts is a guy also where you have to kind of remember, though, that he's he's considered the unicorn of this draft, according to draft scouts. So, It'll be interesting how Coach Smith uses him. Uh, he's a significantly different tight end than what Coach Smith is used to with Johnny Smith. I, I want to talk a little bit about the offensive line. So we drafted Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan in the third round. What do you know about Jalen Mayfield? And do you see him potentially finding a starting role on this offensive line? You know what? Honestly, I don't know much about him except for – you know, what I read up on him after he got drafted. But uh, from the looks of it, he was a third-round pick, am I right? Yeah, that's correct, third round. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you take somebody third round, you want them to come in and push for some playing time. Right. Simple as that. You know, so, I mean, you know, if I'm just kind of, you know, reading, you know, reading for, you know, what I'm seeing, they want them to come in and push one of them tackles for a starting position. You got a guy in Caleb McGarity on the outside. And then, of course, Jake Matthews is making big money. Uh, it could be interesting if they decide to play Mayfield, who might be a little undersized for tackle, if they want to move one of those, you know, experienced guys to guard or if they're looking to maybe play Mayfield at guard. I did read he's pretty versatile. So it could be interesting. I heard he's got quick feet, um, which we definitely need. We need to get a little bit faster on that offensive line. But – you spent so what are they thinking about plugging him in at left guard or something? I mean, they'd, they'd have to put him at left guard because the only other guy that could play at left guard would be uh, Matt Gano. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, I mean, right now he's probably slated to start, especially with Alex Mack leaving. you got to put Hennessy at center, I would think. Are you, are, you, mm -hmm. are you in agreement with that? I mean, that's the way it looks, yeah. That's, that, that's the first person that'll get the first crack at it. Yeah, and – 
I mean, we drafted Hennessy pretty early, and I know that a lot of other teams, the Jets wanted him, and, uh, you know, we were able to go and move up and pick Hennessy back in TD's era, but that era came to a close. So I do want to ask you, I know you didn't directly really work with Thomas Dimitrov too much, but is it safe to say that Terry Fontenot was dealt a pretty tough hand with coming in and kind of having to deal with this cap situation that he's dealing with now? Well, I mean, before he took the job, he knew what time it was. So, uh, I mean, it was something, I guess you could say, he signed up for it knowing that that's what was going on. Um, um, I feel as though, you know, if he if, if he took that job, he felt like he could work through it. It wasn't something that he couldn't uh, overcome. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy to see now that we're looking to trade Julio just to get some cap relief. You know, I'm – I'm, I'm disappointed about that, but, you know, uh, I'm not the one that's making the decision. Right. And apparently Julio requested the trade back in March. Um, I think that the, the only mistake that I can think that, you know, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith have made is saying that everyone was available and they'd listen to all offers. And then they kind of went back on that and made Matt Ryan unavailable. Uh, by drafting Kyle Pitts and showing that, you know, they were going to upgrade at the at the weapon or go get a weapon to surround Matt Ryan with. And they made Julio Jones more expendable at that point. So I'm kind of thinking Julio Jones almost got his feelings hurt um, and requested that trade, to be honest with you. Uh, I, it's really unlike Julio to go out into the media and, you know, state his displeasure. He's never been that kind of player. He's always been a real big team guy, but He's on the plus side of 30, and I think he's seeing his window finally coming to a close, and he wants to win a Super Bowl. So can't be too mad at the guy. He's he's given us, you know, a hell of a good few years here since 2011. So it will yeah. be interesting. It will be very interesting to see what happens with Julio. Yeah, that's uh, – I, I hate to see him go. You know, like you said, he's uh, – provided us with a lot of really great memories, you know, almost had a Super Bowl, you know, if we'd have won that Super Bowl, they'd have been talking about that catch he made in it, you know, which is one of the best in history. Um, it's, just, it's just, man, it's a part of the business. You said it best. It is a part of the business and you know the business very well. You played in the league for many years here in Atlanta. Uh, you played under June Jones at Hawaii and then, of course, Dan Reeves drafted you in the seventh round in the 2001 NFL draft, which is a really underrated draft class that the Falcons did uh, acquire that year, including yourself, Michael Vick, and then, of course, Algie Crumpler. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Dan Reeves, though, because I think Dan Reeves is one of the greatest coaches that doesn't get enough credit in all of the history of football. Will you talk to me a little bit about what Dan Reeves was like from your personal experience? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm going to go back to that draft class you were talking about that I was a part of. You know, let's, you know, let's be very clear. That has to be one of the best draft classes in Atlanta Falcons history because, of course, you got Mike as a starter. You got myself. You got Algie. But we also had some other guys from that class like Matt Stewart and Roberto Garza that ended up turning out to be uh, valuable starters for us uh but i'll leave that alone you know i just wanted to say my little piece on that you know shout out <laughs> to the 2001 draft class 
but my experience with Coach Reeves, man, uh, I got a lot of love for Coach Reeves, man. He's one of my favorite coaches. He's uh, it's 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 one of those things where sometimes I'll sit up and wake up and be like, dang, man, I really played for Dan Reeves. I really played for a Hall of Fame coach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, my mother loves Coach Reeves to death. You know, cause uh, it was when 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 I got drafted. Coach Reeves made it a point to call my mom. I don't know who else he called, but I know he called my mom. And you know, I guess it was uh, it was it was one of those things that he he's been around the league enough, and he knew that you know he's got these young kids coming over there. He wants to call up their parents, especially their mothers, and set them at ease a little bit. You know, he talked to my mom for a while on the phone, gave her his number, home number, wife's number, all of that. You know what I mean? Just really just, you know, made her day because, you know, she was sending me to a far off place and, you know, the world of professional football can be a little scary. So, you know, her getting that phone call and reassurance from him, you know, that just, uh, that man, I promise you this, if you say anything bad about Coach Reeves in front of my mama, you might catch one right across your lip. <laughs> so avo avoid Keenan Forney's mama if you got something bad to say about Dan Reeves. That's that's what I'm getting from that. Oh man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, she'll line you up real quick. <laughs> but man, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now, Dan Reeves is absolutely one of the greatest coaches in all of football, in my opinion, as well. From a young perspective of a sports fan. Uh, what he was able to do with the Falcons, uh, you know, for those seven seasons before you got there, and then, of course, what he was able to do after, it, it, it's it's outstanding. And, you know, I'm happy that, you know, a player that he actually coached is willing to go and say that. And I spoke with Brian Fennerin, another former player and one of your teammates as well recently, and he told us about a play that Dan Reeves had called Finn Wynn. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that play or not, uh, but Finneran was talking to us about that. And I, I think it's really funny how Dan Reeves sounds like such a personable gentleman. And, uh, you know, his legacy in Atlanta is in the eye of the beholder for sure. But I think that he, he should have absolutely nothing but respect given to him by the Falcons community here in Atlanta. Yeah, he should be. He took Atlanta to their first Super Bowl. So, I mean, if that don't give you no love, then, you know, then what else could he have done? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like he, everywhere he's been, you know, he's turned teams into winners, whether it was Denver or the Giants or even, you know, coming down to Atlanta. Dan Reeves is one of the better pro football hall. I mean, one of not hall, but one of the better pro football coaches that is uh, in the history of this game. You know, I think people will try to look down on him just because he didn't get the Super Bowl win, but man, you know how hard it is to get there? And look at some of the teams he was playing against. He was playing against some juggernauts at the time. So, I mean, you got to look at that as well. But as far as just, like, being a coach and as, um, you know, I I would struggle to find anybody that didn't like Dan. I mean, you know, I didn't have any problems with him. You know, he – you know, Dan drafted me and showed me a lot of love. I mean, you know, he was tough on me, which you got to be tough on your players. But, you know, at the same time, you know that once uh, you start putting it together as a player, you know, you start really, you know, getting a lot more of their respect. So that was probably one of the things that I wish that I could have had Dan around longer for because right when I was starting to really come along as a player, of course, he gets fired. And I really 
wanted him to be around to kind of, you know, see that come to fruition. But, you know, uh, shout out to Dan Reeves, man. Got a lot of love for Coach Reeves, man. Absolute legend. I agree with you, Keenan. Uh, let me uh, shift gears here, talk a little bit about uh, 2004 to 2005. That was uh, one of the craziest rushing attacks in the league's history at that point in time. Um, you were a Pro Bowl alternate each of those seasons, and during the 2004 postseason, the offensive line set the fourth highest NFL postseason. And all pro don't, don't forget that. Yeah, oh, don't I, forget I, that. I, yeah, I got, I'll give you love. I'll give you your love. Um, but what are your memories and feelings regarding those special times blocking for Michael Vick, uh, Warwick Dunn, TJ Duckett, and then the guy who's kind of forgotten of the bunch, Justin Griffin? Man, uh, that was some of the funnest, most exciting times of my life, man. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's rare where you can experience something so special and every so often you can turn on the TV or pick up your phone and that stuff is still being brought up and talked about, you know, just to go back and relive it and look at it. And you're just like, wow, man, you know what? At some point, at one point in time, we were the best rushing team in the national football league. So, you know what I mean? I got all kinds of pictures and, you know, balls or whatever around the house, just memorabilia, man. It's just, uh, it was special, you know, cause you know, Mike, you know, does what he does. And then, of course, you know, we had the two-bag rotation with TJ and Warwick. And then, of course, Justin Griffith is our fullback. But Griff could easily go from fullback, get back there at halfback, and run the ball for us as well. You know, we just uh, – it was very special. And, you know, of course, you can't forget about Algie Crumpler, who was, you know, very important for us in that run game. But also, too, you know, he was Mike's – pretty much Mike's number one target. Right. And Mike – I mean, for as quick as he was and as great as those legs were, that dude could throw the hell out of the football. He, he, his arm, that arm strength, I, I think back to, you know, his second stunt in the NFL when he came back following everything that happened around the 07 time period and he ended up back with the Eagles and Andy Reid. That one throw that he had to Deshaun Jackson on Monday Night Football, that guy could absolutely launch the ball like nobody else. Um, you know, and he, him and Algie had a very special connection, most definitely. But you got the privilege to play with, you know, lots of great players during your time in Atlanta specifically. Um, I think of Bob Whitfield off the top of my head. But I wanted to ask, what players made the biggest impact on your professional playing career? Let's talk about from my team. Uh, the veterans when I came in, you know, guys like uh, Bob Whitfield, you know, who – I used to go over to his house all the time in the off season just to sit around and talk football and talk technique and, and, you know, and certain power moves to work as an offensive lineman. You know, this was just, this was a constant, you know, three years, three or four years, I was always over at his house on the weekend, just talking through stuff, you know, so just the different talks me and him would have and just learning the psyche of how to be an NFL lineman. You know, so Bob Whitfield was one of my was one of my mentors, you know, so shout out to Chi Chi. Uh, my bad. Shout out to Bob. That, you know, I call him by his nickname. Sorry about that. Uh, also, too, you know, um, guys like uh, like Jesse Tuggle, you know, Jesse, you know, was one of my teammates in Atlanta here. You know, just the times coming in, you know, when you're a young rookie and you see somebody that's played 14, 15 years, guy that you've been watching on TV as a kid and he's sitting at 
you know, the lunch table and he's just kind of telling you his story. You know, I don't know if not too many people are familiar with it, but, you know, Jesse was a free agent linebacker. I think it must, I, I might be getting the story wrong, but, you know, Jesse told us that it was maybe about 10 or 11 linebackers brought in and he just worked his way until he found a way, you know, just hearing his story gave me a lot of hope and motivation, you know, uh, Jamal Anderson, same, uh, you know, dirty bird, you know, he, uh, when we first got to Atlanta, he was picking me and, you know, the rookie old lineman up, taking us out to dinner, showing us love, you know, took us back to his house, you know, just kind of showing us around, you know, he, uh, you know, I remember, I'll never forget this. He showed us around his house, which at the time, he had a pirate ship built out onto the pool. And so you look at this, and this is the type of stuff that you see on MTV Cribs, which was a TV show back in the day where all the celebrities and ballers showing off their houses. Jamal Anderson had one of those types of places. So when you walk in fresh from a college dorm, it's something else to you. And as he's showing us around, he's telling us, you know what? Ironhead Hayward did that for him when he came in. And so he was just like, man, I'm doing this. Hopefully y'all will get some motivation and go get this on your own. And uh, yeah, it very much motivated me. You know, of course I had to grind it out for a few years, but uh, you know, him just showing us, you know, showing us that love and, you know, welcoming us in like that. It was, uh, it was uh, very big to me. You know, I had a, had a bunch of other teammates as well that, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, pulled me along. Like, you know, you got your, got your Sean Jefferson, wide receiver that we had for the longest time. Uh, I used to have a lot of really great talks with him. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, those are the ones that I can really uh, think off the top of my head, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, also, too, some of my fellow linemen as well, you know, Todd McClure and, uh, at the time, Moon Thompson, you know, these were older guys that kind of, you know, really just try to invite you over to their house or invite you out and just show you some love. You know, you just you just look into uh, you're just looking to assimilate with the guys that that are in your room. And, you know, we had a lot of real high character, really good guys. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, man. And you mentioned some really, really just absolutely phenomenal players, but. One that stuck out to me was Todd McClure. And, you know, being the anchor of that offensive line, as long as he was, he's got to have a spot in the Falcons' ring of honor, don't you think? Man, there's a lot of people that deserve a spot in the ring of honor. <laughs> uh, you know, like you said, McClure deserves a spot in there. Uh, Algie deserves a spot in there. Hell, I even believe I deserve a spot in there, you know? Uh, Chuck Smith deserves a spot in there. Jamal Anderson, I can go on. Michael Vick deserves a spot in there. Yeah, you know it's. I guess uh, they got a certain process that they go about, and uh, you know if it ever happens, you know I'll be there to celebrate them. You know, Mud Duck is, you know, one of those seven round wonders. Played a long time and uh, did very well in this league. So you know, uh, hopefully him and those other guys get that chance to be immortalized like that. Right, and the guy who makes that decision ultimately was your boss at one point, Mr. Arthur Blank. Uh, he's made a massive impact in the community here in Atlanta. Is there anyone more deserving of seeing a major championship in the city other than Mr. Blank right now? He's definitely deserving because uh, ever since he took ownership of the team, I think, what was it, 2002 season? Because 
he was uh, coming around with us in 2001. He would always be on the plane with this, uh, with Taylor Smith, the older owner of the team. You know, Mr. Blank has been all about, you know, the team, the employees, you know, and he's also always been about the fans. And, you know, I'll just explain, you know, as far as the team goes, when he came in, he had a group of guys and asked, hey, what can I do to help make the game day experience better? What can I do to help make things better around this facility for y'all? And, you know, some suggestions were made. And next thing you know, we got us a player's lounge. Next thing you know, we're running out of the tunnel with smoke. You know, it's uh, it was one of those deals where it's like, okay, he was actually taking into account and listening to us, you know? And then for the fans, I believe that first year, he knocked down the ticket prices just so they could pack out the dome, you know? Uh, uh, another side note, too, I remember Mr. Blank, I don't know if he still does it or not, but Mr. Blank would always go out with the free agents that were potentially up to sign in the offseason, you know? Like, I remember there were some times I'd be called on a dinner to go sit down with another guy and – Mr. B is there. So, I mean, you know, he's very hands-on. He's uh, very deserving of a trophy. And I pray that, you know, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot and them can help make that dream come true for him because there's nobody in Atlanta that deserves it more than Mr. Blank. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I hope that we do have the right two men in place and Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot for sure. Um, now, Keenan, this one's kind of funny for me because I've heard from a couple of your former teammates that you and Keith Brooking used to absolutely beat the hell out of each other in practice. Um, <laughs> what was it like battling it out with Brooking, man? Yeah, I want to say for about three years in a row, me and Keith Brooking, the first week of training camp or whatever, you know, we're at some point in time, we just knew it was we, we just knew we was going to knuckle up, you know, because you know, I had a job to do, which I was going to block you to sleep if I could. And he wasn't trying to be blocked. So, you know, once we locked up and, like, it, it, it never failed. I always knew when it was going to happen. And it would always happen in 907, the first 907 drill of training camp, you know. So whatever play we might be running, and next thing you know, I got my hands on him. You know, I'm grabbing him and driving. He's trying to separate and get away. And the next thing you know, he turns around and hits me with a right cross. And then I catch him. And boom, it's just a big melee out there. So that went on for, like, I want to say my first three years in the league. And I want to say, like, the final straw was, like, my helmet actually came off one day. And me and him had locked up. And I was on the ground. And... I got a defender grabbing my legs and another one across my body. So my arms, I can't move them, can't move my legs. And I look up and Keith is standing over me and Keith takes his fist and punches me right in the middle of my forehead. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So not only for the rest of training camp is the middle of my forehead hurting, keep in mind I'm an offensive lineman so I got to hit people with my face mask, you know what I mean? So my head is bumping the rest of two days. I think after that last fight, me and Keith, we sat down at uh we sat down at lunch and we had a uh had a come to Jesus moment and you know we uh we talked it out and you know 
I think as we got older, we put that silly stuff to the side. But you know, it was just one of them things, man. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to make an impression on tape. He trying to make an impression on tape, and whatever happens, happens. You know, like we never took it personal. It never spilled over into the into the locker room or nothing like that. You know, it was just it was what it was. In between them lines, we gonna you know we gonna go at it. For sure, man. And that's that's two competitors right there battling it out, you know, trying to make make an impression on the field, like you said. And y'all definitely did that, that's for sure, for many years. Um, oh, another yeah. guy that made nothing but impressions, not just on the team, but on the fans around the entire league, Michael Vick. Uh, I always love talking to Vick's former teammates about what he was like in the locker room, but more so on the field. Um, do you have a favorite Michael Vick moment from the time that you were blocking for him? There's a lot of favorite times. Of course, you know, you can pull up any of them highlights and, you know, all of those are going to be favorites. But some of my favorite times would just be, you know, whenever we would be playing against that Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense, you know, when they have, you know, Sapp and Lynch and Brooks and uh, – you know, all those guys. I'm trying to think, uh, who was the other uh, the other defensive end that they had over there? Uh, Simeon Rice. So, just watching Mike, you know, he was the ultimate competitor, you know. And a lot of times, Mike kept quiet. You know, he was pretty reserved, didn't say much. But whenever we were playing against those teams, like, you want to talk about chirping and talking shit now, you know, him and Derek Brooks going back and forth. Him and Sap going back and forth, you know. We'd have to sit up and tap Mike. Hey, look here, Mike, man. Don't get Sap riled up too much. We got to block him, you know. But he was excited, you know. So whenever he go to talking, I knew that, you know, here, co here comes a little bit more from him. So, you know, I wasn't tripping about it too much. But, you know, I think one of my favorite times was, you know, um, we was playing against Tampa. And, you know, I think he gave Derek Brooks, he broke. I want to say Mike broke down the field and, you know, Derrick Brooks tried to, you know, you know, square up and tackle him and Mike gave him a little move and shook him and Derrick fell on his face, but he ended up getting tackled about maybe five, 10 yards later or whatever. And Mike got up talking shit to Derrick, you know, just pointing at him. And you could see that Brooks was mad as hell. You know, that's one thing when you play against Brooks, one thing you'll notice is that his eyes, you know, and he just had this fiery look in his eye, and it was just so funny to me. But, you know, we was in the middle of a game and competition, so I couldn't laugh too long about it. It's crazy to think back to, you know, how prolific Mike was on the field. And, yeah, you mentioned some highlights. And, you know, I didn't realize Vic was a big shit talker, though. Um, which Man, he was that's the thing. He wasn't. It's just really? certain – team certain players brought it out of him you know yeah I think it was just one of those things where as you know you got two apex predators out there you know Derek Brooks is running a 4-3 and Mike is running a 4-2-4-3 himself you know and it was just fun to just see two of the fastest human beings in the NFL go to work on each other you know taking you know it would go back and forth too you know there'd be games Mike would be you know doing his thing the whole time and then there'd be times where it would shift the next game. They're doing their thing. So it was just uh, it was just great competition the whole time. It was it was fun because I think those guys really brought it out of him because those are the only times I can remember where he's just really just talking and jawing back and forth with the other team. Right. 
And it's, it's crazy to go back and watch some of those highlights that he made because he was so prolific. And, you know, I felt like when he played the division, it always brought the best out of him as well, which you got to commend, especially when the quarterback is leading by that kind of example. Um, so I, I'm, I'm actually just remembering, I, I've always wanted to ask a player that played during this time period, but in between uh, Coach Reeves and then Jim Mora Jr., wasn't Wade Phillips the interim head coach at one point? Oh, yeah. Shout out Wade Phillips. You know, he was our defensive coordinator for a couple years, and then, you know, Dan had gotten released, I guess, the last two months of the season, and so Wade became our interim head coach. So, uh, yeah, Wade, Wade was cool as hell, man. I love Wade. Yeah, he, he's, one of, he's one of those guys, too, another just defensive mastermind. It was really cool seeing, you know, what he was able to do with Denver a few years ago and when that defense was, you know, proven really stout. And then also with the, our, with the Rams, too. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was special. Wade is a, is a guy that I, I think another guy that deserves a lot of credit in this league. Um, but one guy who I think deserves zero credit in this league and you had the displeasure of playing for him, Bobby Petrino. I already know who you about to say. I already I, know where this is going. I hate talking <laughs> about him. I hate talking about him, but uh, it's you, a part of history. Go ahead and say his name. So you you had to get that. You got the letter that he left, right? Oh yeah, it's on my Instagram page, F65 Performance. If anybody wants to see that uh, infamous letter that Bobby Petrino left on the stools of every player in that locker room as he, you know chunked us the deuce and took the job down at Arkansas. He rode off on his motorcycle in style, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, he he leaves a lot of uh, you know bad bad memories here in Falcons country. But one thing that he did end up doing is giving us Matt Ryan. Um, that that failure that failure of the 2007 season. He did give us you know Matty Ice the year following. So. Uh, don't don't give him that credit. Don't give him no credit. Mm. I, I try not to, but yeah. you know, in order to get to the highest of highs where we were a few years ago when we got to the Super Bowl and almost reached the pinnacle, um, you know, we had to hit those low lows, right, Keenan? Um, hey, you know, it happens, man. You know, I, I think there's a learning lesson in everything, whether you're up or whether you're down. You know, that particular year, that taught me that not every football coach has your best interests at heart, you know, right. because, and I say that because, you know, from the time he came in, he was preaching team this, team that, even had his coaches on that same kick, you know what I mean? Had them, you know, pushing that line for him too. And then when he bounced, it just taught me, you know, they'll say whatever in those meetings or in private meetings or to just you, to just get everybody to toe their line and to do what they want them to do because at the end of the day, they only care about their money or care about how many wins they can get or the next contract they can get, you know? You know, that right there taught me that, man, this man here is full of shit. Most coaches are full of shit. There's right. only a few of them that really care about players. You know what I'm saying? Right. That coach right there, he was full of you-know-what, and, you know, I think, you know, a few years later when he was Arkansas, he kind of got what was coming to him. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as they say, karma is a bitch, uh, to say the least. And that's really what caught up to him. Uh, and, frankly, it's interesting to think back to that time period, though, 
Um, because I remember that, that, that was a tough year, you know, all the way around because of what was going on with Vic off the field. And, uh, of course, you know, Petrino, no one was super thrilled about him being the new coach of the team. And I think that that, that 2007 season will always hold true and, uh, leave a lasting impact on a, on a man like Arthur Blank. Um, I recently read his book, The Good Company. And if you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. It's an incredible read. I think that, you know, he learned his lesson. And I think that from that point forward, he hired the right man for the job at the right time. Although Dan Quinn's legacy in Atlanta will be mostly remembered for the loss of the Super Bowl, like you said about Coach Reeves, it's really hard to get there. So uh, the legacy is in the eye of the beholder, right? And uh, I think that that's one thing that I'll always remember about Coach Quinn and then the way that Arthur Blank hires these coaches. So hopefully Arthur Smith can rewrite the history of this team. You know, but only time will tell at this point. Well, just like Drake said, we gonna see. Yeah, <laughs> we will see. That is true, right? And uh, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later because Matt Ryan's window is definitely closing here soon. Uh, he recently just had his 36th birthday, but – He's one of those guys that should forever be immortalized in Falcons history. And statistically, you know, the stats don't lie. But eventually, I think that he will get that gold jacket in Canton. Um, since your playing days have ended, Keenan, you've taken some young offensive linemen under your wing to improve their games, including Andrew Thomas and Solomon Kinley. Uh, you also spent time mentoring Falcons lineman Chris Lindstrom, who I mentioned earlier. Um, we're depending on him greatly this season. What have you seen from the former first rounder? And is there anything specifically that the two of you worked on in order to get him ready to be eventually uh, as good as you, right? Man, I want him to be better. Right. I want him to be better, man. You know, uh, you know, we're, uh, we've been, we've been looking for that next, you know, all pro pro bowl guard to step in for us. You know, we got a, we've got a pretty, pretty nice history of guards in this franchise, you know, from, from the Bill Fralix to Justin Blaylocks to myself to uh, to the Dave uh, to the Dave uh, what, uh, Dave Browns, you know we've got some uh, we've got we got a pretty nice history, and you know I think that Chris played really well last year. I think he he made All Pro on one of those publications. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, you know to get that and only his second year think he's on the right track and really whenever I would work with Chris I was just trying to show him a couple things as far as footwork to you know try to make his blocks a little bit easier because they were running the same system that I ran for a long time under Alex Gibbs and Tom Cable shout out to those two guys uh, so I was just trying to you know really whatever I could think of to help him whatever it was a little trick or a change up just give it to him, let him absorb it, and, hey, take it. Because when you play offensive line in the NFL, you can't come into the NFL the same lineman that you was in college. You've got to be able to change and adapt. You know, some of the stuff that you've been taught, you've got to be able to do some different things now, you know. So uh, that's all I was just really trying to work with him on, just trying to, you know, pass the game to him and, hopefully let him be as good as he can be or be as great as he can be. You know, you know, I'm very, I'm very blessed and humbled that I was able to play a long time, make a good deal amount of money. So, you know, it makes no sense for me to sit on it. So I just want to pass it on, which is why I've also, you know, 
kind of recruited Mike Kim, you know, a former Atlanta Falcons great who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You know, Mike Kim comes out and helps out a little bit. You know, I also call up Bob Whitfield. He'll come out and help a little bit. You know, it's just, you know, anybody that has played and been successful playing offensive line, you know, I try to call upon them just to, you know, teach these young guys because, you know, hey, you know, steal it and make it a part of your repertoire. For sure. And I love the shout out to Alex Gibbs. That's a uh, that's a godfather right there when it comes to that zone blocking scheme. And, you know, we've seen San Francisco with Kyle. Well, Kyle Shanahan did it here in Atlanta, too. But Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan is, is a perfect example of, you know, that zone zone run scheme, that zone block scheme. And, you know, Gibbs is the godfather of that. And I think that, you know, it's incredible to hear somebody give him that shout out. Also love talking about Tom Cable. What a badass that guy is, right? Oh, yeah. Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl winner himself. Would have got two if Pete Carroll would have handed it off to Marshawn. Oh, man. I, I, I hate thinking about that, too, man, because it just seems like New England's just somehow always finding a way to win. And that's one team I don't want to see end up getting Julio Jones. I'll tell you that right now. I, 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 I lose sleep over that, bro. Hey, you know what? Keep keep those fingers crossed. You never know. They might be able to work out some, and Julio will be back at OTAs in no time. That's I mean, as of right now, he's still under contract. So, you yeah. know, maybe behind scenes, you know, Arthur Smith and Fontenot and the rest of those guys, they making calls to Julio and his agent trying to smooth things over, you know, because like you said earlier, you know, hey, sometimes you can't you – know, new regimes will sometimes come in and ruffle the feathers of a, of a proven player, you know. But, you know, I think you got to take a different approach when, you know, when it's a guy who's – Hall of Fame worthy like Julio. Absolutely. And Julio will be there eventually, most definitely. Uh, Regardless of what happens with Julio, his legacy here in Atlanta is solidified. He is forever going to be one of, if not the greatest or most talented Atlanta Falcons players in my eyes for the rest of history. Um, Watching him play has been an absolute privilege. But like you said, hopefully he comes back. Hopefully they can smooth everything over. Um, but Keenan, that's going to wrap it up for me here at Division Two Sports Radio. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and the work that you did and continue to do here in Atlanta as an ambassador now. Um, for our listeners out there, you can find Keenan on social media at F65 underscore performance. Again, that is at F65 underscore performance. As always, Keenan, rise up, my man. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, real quick, I'm also on Twitter at K4065. And if you're a potential high school, college, professional offensive lineman, hit me up, man. I can help you take your game up a notch or two. Oh, uh, I'll definitely uh, put the link in the description with your Twitter and your Instagram. But, Keenan, thank you again, man. And like I said, continue doing what you're doing. And uh, as always, rise up, right? Rise up, baby, to talk to you all again later on. Thank you for listening to Division Two Sports. For all Division Two Sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore Two Sports.